Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. All right, welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the office of Water Standard in Houston with Julie Bennett and Dwayne Duvall with Water Standard. And I got to start off by saying, Julie, the hospitality has been great. I walked in here. They offered me everything from Topo Chico to LaCroix to flavored coffees. I mean, you guys got it going on. I'm surprised you didn't open a liquor cabinet. That was the only thing I didn't see, but I'm sure that's tucked that's away. That's for after the show. Exactly, right? So we won't mention what time it is because, if yeah, that'd be an early start. But, you know, I feel like if you're going to day drink, you better start in the morning or it's not day drinking, right? So That's a good point. <laughs> but anyway, how's everyone doing this beautiful Friday? Great. Doing great. Doing good, great. good. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on the show. So, Julie, again, I have to compliment you on your support on the podcast and the rest of the OGGN family. You sent a heartfelt message to me not too long ago, just telling me how much you enjoyed the podcast and, you know, what we're doing collectively as a group and, and as an industry for the oil and gas industry. And so I want to personally say thank you for your continued support. You're always liking posts. And, you know, we saw you at the happy hour not too long ago at the, the zoo there. How was that, by the way? Did that you have was a good fantastic. Time? Yeah. We really, I had a great time. I met a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. But the biggest thing was, you know, it was a charity event. So that's always helpful. Mm-hmm. So we always want to do better. Yeah. So I enjoyed being there. And I want to say thank you because the reason why I reached out to you is because I like what you guys are doing with the industry. It's time for some fresh, you know, faces and fresh news. And I like the way you're helping change the industry a little bit and soften it up and make it more collaborative. And that's what we stand for. So I'm a big believer in it. So absolutely. No, thank you. And again, it's interesting you say that because like we had mentioned just briefly before we got started is, you know, social media or media in general does a good job of highlighting when the oil and gas industry does something wrong, but it's, it's opportunities like this and having you guys sit down and, and sharing your story, sharing the knowledge and, and how we're good stewards of the industry. And so the more we can do that, hopefully we can change the perception of not only people within oil and gas, because obviously we're pro, you know, what we do, but maybe sometimes people that are outside the industry can listen in and say, wow, you know, it's not a bunch of rednecks trying to damage the earth and drill drill holes and make as much money as possible. Like people truly want to do well and, and, and help the environment, which again, this kind of leads me into, you know, what we're doing today, talking about water standard. And that's a hot topic right now. I mean, it, it has been for a while, but I think as we progress, you know, drilling more wells, fracking more wells, treating more wells, water is is extremely valuable and is much, you know, if, if you look at the globe, it looks like a big marble where water's, you know, covers most of it. But I think the reality is, and you guys can tell, you know, a little bit more, but there becomes a point where it, it's it's not just readily available. And so we have to maybe do a little bit better as an industry to kind of plan before, think of it before and sort of instead of afterwards. So But anyway, so we'll kind of get started. But before I get going with the questions, I just want to take a quick break. And if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. Also, if you feel like you've got a great story, an idea for a show or any questions, please hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always willing to chat. 
Anyway, I'd like to take a moment to go just quickly around the room and allow each of you to tell a bit about yourself, your role at Water Standard, and, and the journey in oil and gas that led you up to this point. So, Julie, why don't you go ahead and get started? How did this all, you know, how did you get to where you were and now here you are at Water Standard? Yeah, well, I have an interesting story because my background has nothing to do with oil and gas. It's in child development, and I was a school teacher for many years, and I've worked with children most of my life. And just with a shift, I ended up at Water Standard in a strange way, just as a temporary person to come in and help when I left the child industry, so to speak. And I just jumped into Water Standard with both feet, and it was a really big learning curve for me, yeah. for sure. I mean, the acronyms alone are, <laughs> you need a, a degree just to learn those. Yeah, oil and gas is, is definitely big on, on acronyms. I can Yeah, it's everything you see nowadays is all acronyms, but I, so I could imagine it's like learning a new language. Absolutely. So I'm in the marketing group, and I'm really enjoying it. I love social media, and so that's what brought me to you. So I'm very excited about that. Very nice. And you're from Maine, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So how did you actually land here? I mean, is, was it like recruiting or did were you no. interested in oil and gas or no. how did that work? No, not at all. That's, I mean, I am now, but it yeah. wasn't then. Yeah. I went to college in Florida okay. basically because I was 17 years old making my own decisions. So I decided <laughs> nice. I should go to the sun where it's warm. <laughs> yeah. I don't so blame I you. moved south and went to college in Florida and then after that, I was ready to try something different. And so I really wanted to move to Arizona. And on my way there, I left college after I graduated. I hopped in a car and I decided I should move to Arizona. Why? I don't know. Wow. Probably because I was 22 at the time or 21. <laughs> yeah. And so I stopped at a friend's house here in Houston to stay for a little bit to make some more money so I could get to Arizona. And I never left. The city was so welcoming and met a lot of great people. And I ended up just staying. And Good for you. Here I am. Yeah. Still. Yeah. <laughs> many years later. So you're kind of like me when I was growing up. I always wanted, like, I love the sunshine. So I always told myself I was going to live as close to the equator as possible. <laughs> so we're here in Houston, other than, you know, maybe South Texas or you know, somewhere's in the middle of nowhere, South Louisiana, but I feel like I've done a good job. So, you know, I think I can identify with you trying to yeah. trying to be nice and warm. <laughs> but we're both from the north, so. That's true. Yeah, we're snowbirds is <laughs> yeah. what we call them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Dwayne, what about yourself? You play a pretty big role here. So why don't you tell us a little about your journey and how you landed here and, and kind of what you do here? Yeah, sure. I'm VP of sales, global. So we, we are, uh, you know, we, we do work all around the world. We're building in the Middle East right now. We're you know, we have a fabrication facility here, Monarch Separator. So, yeah. you know, we, we're kind of an integrated water treatment company. I, I'm a chemical engineer by trade. So I've been in oil and gas for, for 25 years. Okay. And, you know, probably spent nine or 10 years in the refining industry coming out of, I'm from Louisiana. I can tell. So, yeah, yeah. So I've been, in, I've been in, you know, I'm used to the heat. I'm, I'm used to mild winter. So it's a little hard for me to even kind of comprehend with you guys in Maine and <laughs> right. in Canada. Well, you, you know. spent some time in Calgary, you said, right? Quite a bit. Quite yeah. a bit. I tried to make it summer when possible. But right. I don't blame you. Yeah. Actually, I think it's the coldest I've ever been was Edmonton in a refinery at minus 30. Oh, yeah. And I realized that it's not a place I want to be full time. <laughs> I didn't mind visiting, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely used to the heat and 
mild winters. Right. Whereabouts so, in Louisiana from? Baton Rouge. Okay. My wife's from Lafayette. Okay. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So, you know, I've got the, like they said, they say the Kunas last name with Gautier <laughs> and my wife's from Lafayette. So it was kind of ironic. I met her up in Calgary. Her, Come her, on. Yeah. Her dad was in oil and gas and they moved up there when she was five. Sure. And so, yeah, it's kind of nice actually that we ended up back here in, in Houston because her grandparents, one lives in Crowley, one lives in Lafayette. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful culture. And so, I'm happily I'm married into it, but and then I worked offshore too, so I got to drive to Fushan for about a oh, year yeah, straight okay. every yeah, every two weeks. It's amazing how South Louisiana is very much oil and gas affiliated, right? Oh yeah, it's uh, either the fishing industry yeah. or oil and gas. Yeah, yeah, it's the two main industries for sure. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good time. So anyway, <laughs> I, I didn't want to you know get sidetracked there. No, no but, worries. Uh, yeah, so so you can't, where'd you go to school? LSU or LSU? Okay, yeah, so go Tigers. Engineering from LSU, of course. Yeah, big uh, football fan, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can't be from LSU and not be, right? I haven't so. met anyone that isn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I had a, a guy that I work with. He's also from Calgary. One of his customers works at Manti Tarka, and the engineer there is, is from Louisiana, went to LSU, and he was bugging them to, to go to a game. And finally, he went to a game, and, you know, he's like, yeah, now I know everyone wants to go. And he's got two boys. He's like, they're going to LSU yeah. for sure. And so once he <laughs> went, once he got to experience an LSU football game yeah. at Tiger, Tiger Stadium, right, yep. is what it is? Oh, yeah. He said it's something about the energy. And so now he's hooked, you know. Oh, yeah. So uh, I haven't been, so I'd like to take an opportunity. But just, yeah, it's, it's good. Good people come out of there, man. So yeah. are they going to do good this year? What do you think? I hope so. Yeah? Yeah, we'll see. Good. We'll see. Yeah. Expectations are high, but they're always high. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of hard to always to meet them or exceed them. Yeah. You know? So it's usually the other way around, you know. Right. So you go do chemical engineering, LSU, and then what happens after that? Yeah. No, I mean, I, again, I spent probably nine years in refining. Mm-hmm. So the chemical business, distillation, separations, yeah. things like that. In 2006, I made a change and went in the upstream business. Cool. And I've been in produced water and water treatment ever since. Okay. So I've been doing water treatment probably for, you know, 13 years now. Okay. It's been great. I, I love water treatment. I mean, you know, I, I love being here at Water Standard. I mean, I think our, uh, you know, our kind of our mission and our objective is meaningful. I think it means a lot. And, you know, for me, that's, you know, I want to make it happen. I think that, that you know, and we can get into this a little bit, but uh, yeah. water treatment alone in the industry has changed quite a bit. Okay. How so? The perception of water okay. is really, I think, where I've just seen a shift. You know, I mean, typically water's been that, it's been that waste stream, right? It's a cost center. It's companies want to do as little as possible and get away as, as least you know, with the least amount of money they can. Well, that that's changing now, mm-hmm. right? Because there are a lot of, you know, let's just say water sourcing issues out there in certain areas, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be the Permian, whether that be Colorado or, or wherever else. And so what we're seeing is the perception of water changing from a waste stream that nobody cares about to a revenue stream to an important, if you will, resource for all of us. And you know, you can see that shift coming. Now, it's not always fast in oil and gas. Nothing happens right. quickly sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, now with the amount of fracking that's going on, you know, there are just enormous, enormous demands on water resources. Okay. So you're seeing, a, 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 to me, a huge shift in the perception of water out there in the industry. Okay. You mentioned demand. Is, is like, did the downturn play a huge role in, in making that shift? And is the demand more now than it was, say, pre-downturn in terms of just overall volume or, or the demand in treating it? I mean, it, I'm assuming it's more. Without question. Yeah. Yeah, without question. So we, when we look at the shales, right, yeah. whether that's a Permian Basin or Delaware Midland, you know, DJ Basin, Colorado, Powder River, Wyoming, all these, all these different basins. Yeah. 
the technology in fracking has obviously developed quite a bit, you know, so there are longer and longer wells, longer and longer horizontal wells that require now more and more water to, to produce those fracks, yeah. right? So where does that water come from? Typically, you know, if you could get away with taking the produced water up and disposing of it, that, that's what companies did. Mm-hmm. It was the cheapest, easiest way to get rid of the water. Right. Well, what you're seeing now is, is a huge demand on that water, right? Yeah. They can't make enough st- disposal wells to keep up. You've got things like seismicity concerns that are happening, overpressurization of the wells down hole. Yeah. You've got a lot of factors right now that are actually trending toward, okay, what can we do with that water? Can we treat it and reuse it? Mm-hmm. You know, and ultimately, I, I think there'll be a day, again, it's just my opinion. I don't know, if, you know, when we get there. But you can see work being done and discussions going on right now about can we take that water all the way to agriculture? Sure. Can we put it back in the rivers? Right. You know, so. That'd be huge. It's huge. It's a slow progress. You know, some of that might require certain regulations, things like that. Yeah. But there's no doubt that there's a huge shift in the perception right. of where this is going. Gotcha. Right. So. So how does water standard fit into that? And and why don't you tell us a little bit more about water standard and, and kind of more in details what you guys do, the services you offer, and, and how you're creating value within the yeah, industry? Yeah, of course. I mean, really, there's two different, if you will, companies here. Water standard bought Monarch separators, I guess, three years ago, four yeah. years ago, too? When, 2016. 2016, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And Monarch separators has been around for over 40 45 years. Oh, wow. Are they based out of Houston? Or? Yes. Okay. So there's a, we have a fabrication facility here in south of town, about 15 minutes away. But they really were, you know, core business was design and build produce water treatment systems. Okay. So they've been doing that for many, many years, right? Actual, you know, fabrication of produced water treatment equipment. Water standard and kind of their DNA was in advanced water treatment for enhanced oil recovery. So it really kind of bringing it together, sort of, if you will, you know, kind of brings together a whole portfolio of produced water treatment equipment. So we have a lot of water expertise in here, not only in design and build and fabrication, but also on the engineering sort of consulting side of the business as well. Right. So when we look at, you know, let's say the Permian Basin, right? Obviously, chemistry is number one out there, right? Everybody's using different chemicals to treat to meet certain specs, and those specs are dependent upon the fracking chemistry, if you will, Mm -hmm. right? So where we try to fit in, we're focused on anywhere that there is a recycling application, right? And we can bring our expertise, whether that be in chemistry, whether that be in design and equipment, and how that fits. Okay, very cool. And so it seemed like a pretty good marriage with, it was Monarch Separators, right? Yes. And, And Water Standard, was it a pretty natural fit, and did, did both companies kind of leverage each other to be able to, to kind of Most definitely. Even more uh, obviously, most, you know, a lot of times it's, a hard, it's hard to integrate both yeah. companies. But these two companies, really, I think the synergy between them was so – they were different businesses, and it was very easy. There wasn't a lot of overlap in those businesses, if you will. So to sure. me – Julie, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You you were oh, you've been here even before me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So there's a good fit, right? I mean, you've got again two different kind of, if you will, yes, you know, business models or, or focus. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they complement each other very much. That's so. the point. You know, bringing the two companies together makes us a service provider, a solutions provider for the whole water cycle. Right. Because we look at water holistically Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the process and at the end of the process. Right. So by marrying the two companies, 
we're able to have the full picture and handle the full picture of water for the industry. Nice. So that's important. Do you see when you go in to talk to operators or, or your customers, is there more focus on water now than there was? And, and are people willing to spend the money before to be proactive versus waiting until after, until the, you know it, it's a reactive type thing? Yeah, Justin, well, they have to. Yeah. You know, they, they have to now. And that, that's, again, that's sort of the, the big, to me, the big shift gotcha. in this business, which is, you know, if you look at, again, the fracking operations going on right now, right? Water's the key component, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it is the key component to frack a well and to be able to produce, right? Right. As opposed to, let's say, years ago offshore, when you poke a hole in the ground, it comes up and you just want to get rid of the water as best you can. You meet a certain spec, it goes overboard. Yeah. So these companies now have to have a water management plan in place. Right. Right. Where in the past, it was the water's the last thing we're going to deal with mm-hmm. and we want to do it as inexpensive as possible. Well, that's changed. Right. So when they're doing now, when it comes to production, there has to be a water management plan that goes from everything from where can we source the water? We're going to need X millions of barrels to do to do this work. Are, are there freshwater resources? Are we going to take the water that we start with and recycle it, right? And yeah. then all that produced water, it comes back, what are we going to do with it, right? Right? Because it, it's a real cost, right? Can we dispose of it? I mean, what does that look like? Is it going to be trucked? Is it going to be piped? Mm-hmm. So that, that is incorporated into a water management program. Okay. So to your to your point and to your question, that's one of the first things you have to think about now. Okay. You come from the drilling side. Drilling, they know how to drill wells, and they can drill wells in no time at all. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you when you look at that, it's pretty straightforward out there. They they are there's a lot of expertise in it. They know exactly how to drill, and they can put a drilling program together to do X amount of wells. Well, water, when you look at it from a water management side, is very complex. Yeah. Because there's a lot of different areas to deal with, whether it's fresh water, brackish water, reuse of produced water, disposal. Yeah. Right? So a lot of different aspects. And so it's a pretty complex, if you will, management program. Yeah. So you guys handle the, the full cycle of, of almost every all of that? or Treatment-wise, yes. Okay. Yeah. Treatment-wise, we do. So cool. it just depends on, on the level of treatment and what we need to do. So I we, got you. When we look at it, we can do anything from, you know, something as simple as killing bacteria right. to removing hydrocarbons and solids and everything else. Or if you want to take this all the way to the end and go to a river, you know, which means now getting to a whole nother level of meeting toxicity requirements, right. removing organics, right? Removing, you know, removing desalination, removing salt. So yeah. depending on the level of treatment, we, we fit into that, pretty much that whole integrated process. Right. And so I, I did some research and it was, it's kind of out of my realm, but I was trying to get an idea. So I looked at your website and I came across something pretty neat. So in, forgive me if I pronounce the names wrong, but Robert Boyson and Lisa Hanthorne, they just presented a case study, right? They did. On biological growth, which from my understanding was focused around sort of freshwater delivery systems yep. for a frac site with recommendations on cost, operational benefits, treatment, line flushing, and control of TOC, which is known as total organic carbon. Yes. Are you familiar with the case study or are you able to kind of elaborate a little bit on it? Because I buddy, found it pretty neat. The, he did the job on that one, right? Okay. So he definitely is, you know. He's the guy he's to talk to. Details of, it, of, the, of the case study for sure. Okay. I am familiar with, you know, kind of what we were trying to do on this and what the customer was trying to do. Okay. Right. So freshwater treatment actually is, again, a little bit different sometimes than what we mostly think of, right? Which is treating the contaminated waters coming out, gotcha. right? 
But in freshwater treatment from all these freshwater sources, one of the problems in using it is bacteria growth. Yeah. Right? And so, hence, that was the, the, the point of the case study was the customer had multiple pipelines with multiple freshwater sources coming in, right? Yeah. And any kind of biological growth can, can severely damage the reservoir downhole. For sure. So they were doing putting together a study and Buddy and Lisa actually, who are, you know, two of the leading water people really in the world. Okay. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, their uh, experience in the industry and their expertise and knowledge. So, you know, for them, you know, and for us, it, it was a great study because, again, a little different aspect and a little different application than what's typical when you think of produced water treatment or water treatment. Yeah, of course. So if people are interested on that topic, is there a way to be able to, to review or if there's customers out there that face similar issues? I mean, what would be the best way to... Julie, what's the... Yeah, Absolutely. I mean... Absolutely. They sure. can visit our website. They can email us at sales at waterstandard.com. Cool. We love to talk water and we love to solve water problems. Right. So we're there to help in any way. One of the things that I think we should also touch on when we talk about the shift is, you know, what Dwayne was saying, you know, regulations are changing, how the industry's treating water is changing. And a lot of that has to do with social consciousness. Okay. And that's a big part of, you know, what drives us. You know, we can't just keep using the water and using the water and taking the water and taking the water and you mm-hmm. dump it into the disposal wells and then it's gone because the disposal well goes all the way down below the water table. Right. So then that water's gone, right? And so that's where the reuse, the recycle and hopefully safe discharge comes into play and that's what drives us. Most of our team is very passionate about the environment and mm-hmm. passionate about treating our water with care and understanding the value of it, not just from a financial standpoint, but just from sustainability for the earth itself. So I really like that aspect of it. Of course, you know, the industry has to look at both sides, financial, but they're now paying closer attention to the environment. And that's one of the things, like you said earlier, you know, the oil and gas industry gets, you know, blasted when something goes wrong, but the the industry has changed and they do care about the environment and they are taking the steps. Right. And that's where we come in to help with that. Absolutely. So. so would you, is there such thing right now as a water shortage? I mean, is that, a, is that even a topic of conversation amongst the, the water areas. world? Yeah. yeah. In certain areas. So a lot of it just depends on, you know, geographic location. Okay. Yeah. Some areas are really starved with freshwater resources. So where right? would that be like right now? New Mexico and certain areas in certain areas of Texas. I mean, there are certain areas in Texas that have, you know, a lack of of fresh water. Having said that, West Texas and a lot of it has aquifers. Mm -hmm. And to to Julie's point, you know, it's one of the things that we are passionate about, which is, you know, people don't realize in a sense that when you pull this water out of a freshwater aquifer. And in Texas, you know, landowners have what they call right of capture. Right. which means that a landowner can pull as much water as he can off his property, okay, all out of a freshwater aquifer that's used for agriculture or for drinking, whatever. Right. And so what, what ends up happening, and, and what you're seeing right now is a huge imbalance. That water that's getting pulled off an aquifer that gets used in a frack process and then goes down hole into a disposal well is gone forever. Okay. So when you look at the water balance or the water cycle itself, there's a huge imbalance right now of what's getting pulled out of the environment and what's being disposed of never to be used again. Okay. So 
to your point, Julie, sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the, the fact is, it might be years away, but it's unsustainable where we're going. Okay. So we are very environmentally conscious. Right. Pro-production. We, you know, we, we believe in production. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but to do it in an environmentally conscious way. And I think that's, you're, you're seeing that now. I got You're starting you. to see that, you know, the, the ways of even producing oil and gas have changed. Yep. Right. But we still have a ways to go. And, you know, until we kind of get to that point where, where people start looking at this, I would say, holistically, mm -hmm. you know, regarding the water cycle itself and the water balance out there, you know, it's trending that way and it's going to get there. But, you know, there's still a ways to go. So we're always right. pushing for that, which yeah. is, you know, we, we can't, you know, and I always say this, I will never fault a landowner. He's, you know, they're doing it legally. Mm -hmm. This is something by law, you know, and you can't fault them for their property and, and doing what they, they want. But if you look at the big picture, you know, it's moving in a direction that is unsustainable one day. Yeah. So, so if we were to continue doing what we're doing, assuming no advancement in technology, nothing changes, like how long years-wise could this last? You know, it's a good question, Jess. I don't know exactly how long. Sure. And there's honestly, you know, I think other things going on even before that that's causing a change, one thing being seismicity, mm. right? I mean, nobody sees that water just yet, probably, even though it's moving pretty quickly, Yeah, you know, and pulling from the water cycle. However, yeah, seismicity is something that happens quick. You know, it's uh, very quickly. It's noticeable. Is, can you describe seismicity for sure. people? Sure. I mean, and I'm, people are probably a little more familiar with it happening in Oklahoma, but right now in, in Southwest Texas, there are a lot of earthquakes that are happening. There's a okay. lot of seismic activity. Right. Now, you know, the, the, the question comes in about proving, is it due to the fracks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So you're always kind of going through that discussion. But the fact is, if it's there, it's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. You start getting into residential areas and you start seeing that's even a whole nother level. Right. There's not a lot of residential areas in the Permian Basin, right? So sometimes <laughs> yeah. some of these are remote and... Yeah. Kind of out of sight, out of mind in a way, but it's a problem. And, and again, sure. those things are driving some of these discussions as well. Okay. Right? And so, again, it's moving that direction. It's hard to say sure. if it's going to be, you know, in the next year, if it's going to be a five-year or 10-year type of problem. But those discussions are happening. Right. So I don't see them going away. Right. And I guess it would, it would be a function of the activity as well. If rig count doubles, all of a sudden your demand goes up and fracking goes up. So. Yeah, I guess that, that that's probably not a an easy question to answer, but you know, one that I just thought was like, you know, I'm sure it's a topic, and so oh yeah, something to, to think For about sure. nonetheless. One thing I always wondered, and this is just my sort of dumb roughneck way of thinking, but with all the technology nowadays, isn't there a way that you could pull water out of the ocean and treat it to where you could use it as fresh water? Is that like a thing? Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, some countries do it. Yeah. Right. I mean, there, there are places in the world with no fresh water. I mean, we're building right now in Saudi Arabia. Right. So we have a project going on right now. Huge desalination plants. Oh, cool. Because they have to pull ocean water. Right. Right. So there's it just depends. When and you there look, are high costs associated with that sure, as well. That's sure. not it sounds the. I would say the biggest thing I learned coming from a completely different industry like yourself, Justin, not being familiar with the water. Yeah. First thing, I was shocked at how much water comes out of the ground with the oil. Okay, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. What is it between five and nine barrels of water come out? And, you know, it depends, obviously, with every barrel of oil, that yeah. much water comes out that needs to be treated. 
that okay. was a shock to me for yeah sure. i'm sure most people don't know that exactly it's crazy and i just didn't understand how complex water is yeah. you know and when we were working on a a project out in the DJ Basin for surface discharge, I was surprised to learn that you can't just, you can almost treat the water too too much, okay. and then you can't put it back into the river because it has to, it has to match the water for that river. Now right. I'm speaking in very layman's terms, so I should right. let Dwayne talk more. <laughs> sure, but no, I think that's points. good because most people listening to this may not be water experts like myself. I, you right. know, that, that that's interesting because I guess it would have to match a certain I don't know yeah, if it's mineral content or fingerprint of water to put it back into its natural habitat. For the marine habitat. life, that's there. Of and course. And so I didn't realize how complex that was. I learned that from Lisa, yeah. which is what I love about working here is I feel like I'm learning something every day because I work with such experts. Yeah. You know, it's really great. But, you know, working out in the DJ and getting the water to meet the testing for discharge is exciting because you realize you can get there and, yeah. and there's hope for that, but there's a lot of work to it for sure. And water's complex. You People think, well, just take it out and clean it and put it back in. Well, well, there's more to it than that. Yeah, it's not sure. just hydrogen and oxygen, yeah, <laughs> believe exactly. it or not. Yeah. I mean, you've got to take the oil out. <laughs> then you have to think about the salinity and all the other aspects that Dwayne can speak to sure. much better than I can. <laughs> She's putting oh, you on the spot, Dwayne. Yeah. yeah. That was very good. Yeah. See, I'm learning. Right. So how does that work <laughs> just on like a, a high level, like when you sort of treat water to put it back in a river, like do you pull samples of the river, test it, figure out what's in there, and then somehow... Yeah, just like, I mean, to work? that level, if it's, it's, a, it's a big difference if you're just going down a disposal well and it's minimal treatment or even recycle, which is pretty straightforward, if you will. Mm-hmm. Because when you're doing that, you don't have to. There's really no toxicity levels at that point. Right. When you go to a, a river, then it's a whole different level of okay. toxicity, right? I mean, you have to pass the you know the the affluent limit test. They call they call it, where you know they test and see whether or not you kill the fish, right? I mean, yeah. so there are certain just different levels that that you have to do. So it's it's taking out really anything that is toxic to the marine environment. But okay. like to Julie's point. Right, you can get it too clean, where yeah. you can take out certain minerals and everything else. Right, so it's it's a, it's a whole different level, I think, of uh, testing, understanding, you know, and, and then treatment to get it to that point. Yeah. So no, that's fascinating. So what would you say the goal, you know, for the future of water within the oil and gas industry was is within the next five or even ten years? Is there an overall goal that that you guys are trying to strive for at all, or? Yeah, no, great question. I, you know, in in my opinion, you know, l- looking at the industry itself, and, and you can go to any one of the conferences, you see multiple presentations, right? Where disposal wells aren't going to go away because it's convenient, mm-hmm. right? And and they're set up to handle some of the, if you will, the delta between what's produced yeah. and what's disposed of. However, you can see the trend going to as much recycle as possible. Right to be able to reuse that water without disposal wells. Yeah, I see that going. And and honestly, we've talked about it quite a bit in here about sort of the you know the what's the paradigm shift in water, and is that again is it going to move that direction within two years or five years? It'll be interesting to see how it progresses. Yeah, but eventually, right, that water is going to have to be used for certain agriculture or surface discharge. Yeah, that'd be. Crazy. So we see it going that direction. How fast it gets there is probably the ultimate question. We do not know. Right. 
But regardless, when you look at, you know, there are certain areas even in the United States, such as Marcellus in Pennsylvania and Ohio, yeah. they're already at that, at that level. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a little different. You know, there, there's, there's surface discharge plants in the area where people bring their water in at that point because they don't allow disposal wells right. in Pennsylvania. So the cost structure is a lot different. Gotcha. But I see that moving in, in that direction in all of these areas eventually. Okay. Right? Because there's such a massive amount of water produced that, again, I think it's, it's going to be unsustainable to continue down this path that we could just dispose of it. Of course. Keep pulling it. Is that where you're seeing the biggest sort of where the money's being spent regarding R&D? And sort of another question I had related to that is, what's the biggest advancement in, in technology that you've seen over the last couple of years? I mean, is there something revolutionary that, that we're sort of experiencing right now or that has been deployed, whether it's with you guys or just overall with water treatment? No, it's a great question. We, we, we talk about this quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. No, 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 no. That was a, it was a great question because it's, it's definitely a hot topic. Okay. Let's just say that there's been no doubt there's been advancements in some technologies. Okay. But the fact is that most water treatment processes have been around for probably 50 years. Yeah. Right. And the fact is that the standard treatments, however, there's been some minor improvements and some innovations and people with design changes and, and everything else, the physics is still pretty much the same. Okay. Right. So whether that be with enhanced gravity, we call it, whether that be with flotation, right, or whether it be with some type of filtration. There's new materials mm -hmm. when it comes to filtration. But the, the interesting thing is that a lot of the technologies have been around for a long time, and they're robust. Okay. So it's hard, honestly, to get, I would say, to see change when you've got a robust system. Because like we've talked about, water's very... It sounds simple. It's just water. But the fact is, it's complex. Mm -hmm. So robust systems tend to win out in the end, yeah. right? Because they're flexible and they can handle different things. Yeah. And so is there something that's coming out down the road? There's definitely work being done in certain areas. I would say probably the biggest area for me is something that we have a lot of expertise in, which is membranes. Cool. And the reason being is that, that membrane materials, right? have gotten a lot better over time. They've become a lot less expensive over time. Right. And so I see development of that cool. moving forward. But a lot of the, the base treatment is either via gravity or it's via flotation. And, you know, pretty much it's ruled by what's called Stokes' Law. So yeah. in water treatment, you'll hear the term Stokes' Law quite a bit. But to me, moving forward, I see new, new membrane technologies coming out nanotubes. I mean, we, we, there's some there's some cutting-edge research being done right now on membranes. Cool. And I see that moving forward. And I've talked to a few people at the conferences. There are people right now doing at universities a lot of studies on this. Very cool. That are really kind of out there looking for funding and piloting. So okay. that's coming. I would say that. But hmm. I don't see a wholesale change in technology changing from chemicals and the robust, really, kind of technologies and the standard physics behind it that have been out there for a long time. Very interesting. No, I appreciate that answer. So if there's if people are more interested on the topics and stuff like that, are there good resources out there for people, including myself? Because it's something, you know, in the drilling fluids world, we use water all the time. And sure. I have a friend who owns a fracking company. And so I like to sure. kind of stay up on that kind of stuff. Is there good websites or, I mean, your websites, conferences? I mean, it's, what would be the best sort of forum to stay up on, on well, what's going obviously on? Obviously, we're always available. 
So if yeah. there's ever a question or anything like that or anything pertaining to our website, we're we're open. Cool. You know? So we're we're always open as a resource. As far as other resources, without question, there's so many conferences now on water. Okay. That's another big shift in the industry, by the way. Okay. Yeah. There used to be one water conference a year. Right. Right. And now there are dozens. Yeah. yeah. Good. Right. So there's a lot of uh, I would say, let's say conferences with different focus, maybe different geographic regions. Maybe different things, whether it's technology versus water management or even investment. Mm. There's a lot of different conferences out there. As far as websites, I mean, there's there's well, multiple. What I would recommend, it depends too, because, you know, water is a big topic. So yeah. if you want to talk about produced water, then, of course, there's the Produced Water Society. You know, it's an organization of, of professionals in the industry, and their mission is to try to get the industry to better you know use their water in a more environmentally conscious way yeah so that's the produced water society you can become a member they put on conferences you know that's the one that buddy and, and lisa henthorne cool. were just there this week and that was in the permian they have it for the middle east and so there are a lot of resources out there yeah. you can become members of you know then there's amta the american membrane, the membrane technology association, association. Sure. they they handle the membranes and yeah. so there's even SPE will have you know water topics in their conferences right so there's there's a lot out there and cool. if you want to find out more reach out and yeah. we'd be happy to like I said we can talk water all day right yeah number one resource is you guys mm-hmm. and then the rest <laughs> yeah I like there you, that. you know what what's I wanted to put it out there because we have a lot of young listeners out there that are still in college and mm-hmm. stuff like that I would encourage a lot of you folks out there that that are still trying to navigate the waters, no pun intended, but to figure out a career path. I think this is something that would you see the demand for just expertise and people coming out of college that is that something that is this a growing industry? And if so, you know, again, I would encourage folks out there because people reach out to me and like, oh, I want to be a drilling engineer. or I want to do this and do that. But, you know, let's not forget about you know, the lifeline of everything in water. And so if that's something that's interesting, yeah, go to, uh, you know, sign up for a lot of these conferences and, and, and go become members. And, you know, this is, if you want to make an impact in the oil and gas industry and in, in our, in our world as a whole, this is definitely a career path that I think would be pretty interesting for a lot of the young folks out there. So yeah, um, most of these organizations will have young professionals groups, right? you know, like the Produce Water Society does for sure. They have a young professionals and they're targeting the younger audience for sure to bring them in. And, and you know, we've had interns here, you know, you want to, to bring in the, the younger generation and they are conscious about water already, which is great, or conscientious about water already. Of and that's great because we have a lot more focus on the environment. And so they'll bring a lot to the table. Cool. Very good. Well, uh, before we wrap things up, I always like to ask my guests if they have any daily habits or routines that contribute to the, whether it's a success of their career or personal lives. So, uh, Dwayne, I'd like to ask you, what do you have any daily habits or routines that you kind of stand by that help you get through the day? I probably need to develop some better routines. Let okay. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Julie said you like your Topo Chico, so maybe that's the, the recipe for that's success. Definitely, or that's what? definitely one of my routines. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely addicted to Topo Chico. So. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, no, Topo Chico is my favorite, that's okay. for sure. I No, it's it's interesting. You know, to, to the, I've thought about that. What, what routines should I develop, right? Sure. And usually it comes down to, first thing, I, it takes me an hour to walk dogs in the morning and drink multiple cups of coffee, right? Okay. So that's typically my morning routine, no matter what yeah. I think I'm going to do differently, you know? Okay. So, 
Nothing, I would say nothing in particular. Okay. You know, that's, I would say, groundbreaking or anything sure. like that. But, but there's, uh, there's got to be something that contributes to your success. I mean, you, you're, you know, you're in a good level where you're at. You've advanced in your career. What, what would you say for the young audience out there? Do you have any tips or any advice for the, for the young folks out there that yeah, are trying sure. to, to and, advance and to, their career? And going back to your question, I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to answer that one, right? I think this is what the industry needs is, you know, let's say that the younger generation that's in college right now, they're looking for careers. It's it's only when those that are socially conscious move into the industry that things make a change. Yeah. Right. And, and water, whether that be water treatment in oil and gas, whether it be in municipal, whether it be in wastewater, industrial wastewater treatment, to your point, it's only going to grow. Mm. Right. Because it's becoming a, even in areas that have water, it's becoming a scarce resource right. in a lot of in a lot of ways, right? And so the demand to be able to to treat it, to use it, whether that be seawater, right, or reuse of produced water and oil and gas, it, it's a growing market. And so I think it's a it's a great career choice. So cool. my main, you know, if if there's any advice in, in moving forward is to do something that now this is gonna sound like a cliche, but do something you're passionate about. Yeah. And and here we are all passionate about the environment. And I really mean that, you know, our highest level people in here are, again, we're pro production and oil and gas, because I do feel like we need, we need energy, right? Right. We all use it, you know, it takes it for the economy to move. But we are very, very passionate about the environment and water treatment in general. And so that would probably be my biggest, you know, I would say bit of advice for anybody that's coming out looking for a career. Cool. No, I appreciate that. Julie, what about you? Do you have any unique routines or, or daily habits that you stick with? Well, to be fair, I hear you ask this question, and then I told Dwayne, hey, Justin's going to ask you this question. It didn't occur to me <laughs> that maybe I should think about that question. Right, right. So I'm <laughs> the same as Dwayne. I probably need to develop some better habits. but So I don't think I have a routine or anything that I would advise, but sure. the one thing that I think is more of a thought process or a mindset would just be to be open and always seeking, you know, knowledge, Mm -hmm. always looking outside of what you're doing at your job. I spent any time I have free time, I'm online trying to learn something new or find a different podcast or meet a different group. I say yes to most anything that I'm invited to. So invite me somewhere. I'll come. Yeah. (laughs) Julia's ready to party. (laughs) But it's important when I got involved with and learn more about OGGN. Then I went to all the networking events and I just really think that that's the way to do it is meeting people, getting to know people and being open to their ideas and thoughts. Yeah. Really helpful. No, that's certainly good advice. We need to have you as like an OGGN ambassador or something. (laughs) Bring it on. Yeah. No, I need to talk to Mark about that. Well, um, look, before we close up here, I just want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming events. And here are the events on deck for August 2019. The Oil and Gas Conference, 11th through the 14th at the Weston Denver downtown. SPE Subsea Well Intervention, 13th through the 15th at Galveston Island Convention Center in Galveston, Texas. Oilfield Helping Hands Summer Pistol Shoot, August 16th at the Texas Gun Club in Stafford, Texas. Uh, of course, Summer Napes coming up August 21st through 22nd at the George R. Brown Convention Center here in Houston, Texas. The IADC Well Control Conference, 
which is the 27th through the 28th at a Moody Gardens Hotel in Galveston, Texas. Oil and Gas Happy Hour in Tanzania, August 23rd, 6 to 10 p.m. at the Best Western CBD Hotel in Dar el Salaam, Tanzania. A PGICE 2019 will be held 27th through the 30th at Hilton Buenos Aires Hotel in Buenos Aires, Argentina, held, of course, 27th through the 30th. U.S.-based Oils and Lubricants Summit that will be held the 28th through the 29th in New Orleans, Louisiana. And then, of course, the Denver Happy Hour, which will be launching August 29th in Denver, Colorado at Liberty Oil Services. Hope to see you there. Awesome. Thank you. Another event that I'd like to mention is Redeemed, which is focused on helping victims of sex trafficking becoming survivors. So, Julie, do you mind just quickly sharing a couple details on that if people are interested in supporting that? Absolutely. They're having an event, a gala, on September 19th, and it's going to be at Stampede Houston. We're going to have a Texas-style gala. The reason why I say we is because I'm volunteering with Redeemed to help promote this event. And the idea is to raise money because Redeemed has a house, a safe house, for women who are survivors of sex trafficking. And I don't think people realize how bad that is, human trafficking in general, but they focus on sex trafficking and trying to help these victims become survivors. And so they have a house that they house women and help them through that recovery process. It's an interesting and scary, you know, environment out there and it's bigger than people realize. So I jumped in with both feet to try to help Redeemed. Wow, good for you. I recommend you go to Redeemed's website. You learn about the gala on September 19th. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be, uh, that'd be great. And so, like you said, there's a website. If anyone's looking to volunteer, they can go on there. Yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. awesome. And they can reach out to me here. We'll put, I'll put my email address if you don't mind. Oh yeah, we'll put all that in the the show notes. Yeah. I'm helping to put the event together on September 19th. The point is to raise money to help support the house. Yeah. Of course, because it's an an expensive endeavor. These women can stay there for two years to get through their recovery process. Yeah, it's sad, but it's real. And, Mm -hmm. And especially here in Houston, mm-hmm. you see it a lot. And I mean, I saw years ago, not even before I moved into Houston, is it was one of the hubs for human and sex trafficking, mm-hmm. which is, it's a terrible problem. And, and it's it's people like you that are making a difference. So we certainly appreciate your service and support with all of that. Again, we'll put the link in the show notes for your guys' website. And yeah, I certainly appreciate you guys coming on. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know about with regards to water? Any closing last words? Yeah, I think we, we covered a lot. That was, uh, we did. was a good conversation. Perfect. Thank you. Love your water. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. No, I appreciate you coming in and giving us the platform to talk about it because, you know, I think it's something maybe that a lot of people don't, you know, know about. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say they don't know about it. They're not educated in it because it's not something that's probably at the forefront of most people's minds. Exactly. take it for granted, right? And so... You know, it's the one thing I, we appreciate the platform and opportunity to yeah. kind of, uh, if you will, speak the gospel about water treatment. You know, like you, Julie said, we can talk all day about this. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're not going to talk all day about it. But, uh, you know, thanks a lot for coming in and Absolutely. allowing us opportunity. Yeah. Person. No, well, hopefully we're able to move the needle a little bit today. And myself and the rest of the, you know, everyone out there, I'm sure appreciates your guys' service and what you're doing for the environment and the industry. So, well, that's it, folks. And that's a wrap. And so always remember when the density's up and the gas is down open the choke let's go to town 
Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 